0: Good morning and thank you for listening to the podcast for this extended Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you had a wonderful holiday with the family. We did, and I'll get into it a little, but unfortunately did have some sad news come down. This actually just happened late last night, Saturday night. We got the phone call that uh, Ryan's grandfather passed away. We called him Papa the Great He was um, because he was a great-grandfather to Leo, so that's how he got that name um he was uh it was a war vet he was a good guy he was uh married uh he was on a second wife his his let's see my my wife's biological grandmother she's still around grandma jane he was married to uh, uh his second wife was rose a woman named rosemary wonderful woman who's also still with us um and uh, i really just feel bad for her and grieve for her they they were just been so kind to me they welcomed me into their family you know some thirteen years ago, and um, have just been amazing to my son they were he was a phenomenal great grandfather he had been sick uh, a couple of times you know it 's interesting in the thirteen years that I knew him, he had gone in and, in and out of the hospital a couple of times and been really, really close to the end before, and kind of bounced back. He was one of the strongest men I knew in that way. And I had I had heard that he did that even once before I knew him. So early on in my relationship with Ryan, maybe just a couple of years in, he was in the hospital, and you know I, I don't remember the exact thing, but it was it was sort of a touch and go, and then bounced back and was was back. Right? Happened again about a month ago or so, where he was in the hospital and bounced back, got released from the hospital, um, ended up at the Jewish home, and, and unfortunately then. Uh, took a turn for the worse towards the end, and and it just kind of happened quickly, which is exactly what happened with my grandfather too, by the way. My grandpa Pete, who uh, died at the age of 91, up until about two months before he passed away, my grandpa Pete was going to live to be 100. I mean, he was like, you, you could just, there was no stopping him. You know, I remember, I think when he was... See, when he passed away, he had just turned 91. So the summer that he was 89, so what, like a year and a half before he passed away, he was up on a ladder cleaning out his gutters of his second floor, you know, of his two-story home. So, like, my grandfather seemed like he was just invincible. And, um... When he got sick, it happened fast, and, and he had a couple of months where all of a sudden he just wasn't quite, didn't ha- quite have a pep in his step anymore, and that was maybe a month or two, but it really, even at that point, you know, just a couple of weeks before he passed away, he was still instrumental in, in cooking, like, Feast of the Seven Fishes, because my grandfather, uh, his birthday was New Year's Eve. He was born on December 31st. Um, fun fun fact, he was born on December 31st at, like, eleven 1150- fifty. 2 p.m. or something and is a twin and his twin sister was born on December 31st at like 11 56 p.m. or something so they were all they were really really close to being twins born in separate years <laughs> but anyway um he uh he had um he passed away then in in mid to late January I think it was maybe late January so about a month after he turned 91 and I still remember from the, from New Year's Eve that year, from his birthday, he did most of the prep for the Feast of the Seven Fishes. So that's a month or a little less than a month before he passed away. And then also the Sunday before he passed away, cause my grandfather passed away on a Wednesday. I went to his home on that Sunday and he had made sauce, you know, so like he was going, he was still going. Um, but again, similar story here where like, you know, something happened. Now I don't, you know, with, with Papa the Great, um, Lou Bouchard, he was actually Lou Bouchard Jr. Um, my my father-in-law is Lou Bouchard III, but he was Lou Bouchard Jr. With, with my grandfather, his lungs just kind of filled up with fluid right at the end, and it was ugh, I don't want to get too, but basically that all happened in the course of like 12 hours. It just went from like, he he's fine, he's slowing down a little bit, but then it was just over, and this this is a similar thing where I think my um grandfather-in-law had had recovered he was out of the hospital he was in a home he was probably going to be at home forever at that point but it was it was going to you know there was time he was going to be around and then all of a sudden I don't know what happened and in the course of just a day it was like oh it's not looking good oh no terrible news so please keep my wife and her family in the, uh, your thoughts and prayers today um you know, it's they're they're really really good people. They've giant hearts, and um, nobody deserves you know to lose somebody. It's something we all deal with. We all deal with grief. It really sucks. It's unfortunate, but uh, you know they all they all are uh, having a tough day today. So, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Hopefully, you did have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We certainly did. Uh, We followed our tradition this year of going to Ohio. Something happens, you know, when you get married. Most of you guys are are probably married or in long-term relationships, but you end up having to pick and choose holidays and who's going to go where for what holiday and what holiday are you going to host too? And I know every family is a little different, but a a lot of families I know, it's kind of like, you know, everyone kind of picks one that they're going to host. And I think in most cases, it's because everyone wants to host a holiday. I also think there's some burden on uh, some of those families where the same house hosts every single holiday. (laughs) Because, you know, it's a paid man. You got to clean and organize and then, of course, do all the the food and the booze and, and sometimes people help with that kind of stuff and sometimes they don't. And I'm the kind of person who has always felt everything needs to be full service. So uh you know, it's done me really, really well at times, but it's also made me look like an ass at times, and I'll explain. So I feel like when I invite you over to my home, you shouldn't have to bring anything. If I've invited you over for a meal, I should be providing appetizer, dinner, dessert, drinks. A full service. I just want you to bring yourself. That's all. Nothing at all. You shouldn't be required to bring anything. Um, That's not how everyone operates and I get that, you know, me thinking that. That's just my own personal philosophy. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's how I feel. But where I say it's turned me into an ass a few times is that because that's how I feel, that's just what's ingrained in me is I just love to be a host I love having people over, and I love that they don't have to bring anything. And oftentimes people will bring something, and that's fine if they bring something, but I would never require someone to bring something. I would never say, can you handle dessert? Um, But what has happened because of that, because that's ingrained in me, is sometimes when I'm invited over to other people's homes, it doesn't even occur to me that they might want me to bring something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so i've i've had to learn that as i've uh, gotten married and been adopted into a new family that uh, over the past bunch of years that if i'm invited to someone's house that doesn't mean i i'm coming that means i need to come with something and that's weird i get that there's people hearing that right now going oh dude of course you have to come with something but i don't know it's just a weird thing i've just always thought of it as full service i want you to come to my home and not have to bring anything. And at the same time, I'm not. it's not going to occur to me to bring anything. Now, I'll say this. I'm going to say this. I don't mind if you ask me to. I'm just probably not going to think about it unless you ask me to. So I, I need to be asked. But I don't mind bringing something as long as you ask me to. It's not like I, I don't think I should. It just doesn't occur to me. So I'm sure there's been a couple of times where I have probably should have brought something. Oh, God. Am I losing you? Are you hearing this and thinking, God, this guy? <laughs> uh, so Thanksgiving, we head home, head to Ohio. Uh, it's one of those holidays we're going to do in Ohio, obviously. I'm from Ohio. My wife's from Rochester. So we kinda just kind of split the holidays. And here's how we do it. Here's our, it's not that confusing of a schedule. Uh, every year, let's go through the holidays in order, right? So basically, uh, it, the ones that are really require you to get together with family, at least. We'll skip the little ones. But 4th of July, we do every other year every uh, even numbered year we go to ohio for fourth of july okay um thanksgiving we do uh thanksgiving is always ohio 100% of the time we go to ohio christmas is always rochester 100% of the time we stay in rochester and christmas eve is the holiday that we host and that's feast of the seven fishes and that's everybody from both my family and my wife's family is invited to our home and again I will provide everything. Uh, And and by the way, when I say Feast of the Seven Fishes, I spare no expense. This is one thing I've definitely gone different from my grandfather on. I go all out. I've got a a cold seafood tower. I do crab legs. Um, The Seven Fishes is going to be just, it's going to blow your mind, right? I'm going to have a nice charcuterie for appetizer. Um, there's going to be drinks and just we're going to have entertainment Um, we will have santa claus we will have a dirty santa game Uh, there will just be a lot to do and a lot of fun to be had and plenty of booze and it's going to be a great christmas eve and that that's our blowout christmas eve is the one we host and then of course christmas day is always in rochester so we kind of worked that out nice, where we host the holiday that puts us at home anyway. Because really, what, what that works out with that is that we want Leo to wake up in Rochester for Christmas every year. We want him to wake up at, in his house. Every year for Christmas. So it's kind of worked out that way. And then New Year's Eve, every single year for New Year's Eve, we just stay in and do us. So we don't go anywhere. We don't invite anyone over. It's just like me and my wife, and we just kind of have a family night. We usually make a really special dinner on New Year's Eve. We call it Tarsitano's Meal. It's this restaurant that we fell in love with at a winery that no longer exists in Ohio that does um, like a steak with portobello mushroom and gorgonzola cheese on it. And then they do ravioli and salad. And that's it. And and we just loved that restaurant. (laughs) Like, we just thought that was the best restaurant ever. And so um, that's what we usually do on New Year's Eve. So, Thanksgiving this year, um, I had, uh, you know, I I felt like my mom maybe needed a little bit of help. Um, You know, my mom's still perfectly capable of doing everything, but at the same time, you know, it didn't feel right to just kind of sit in the other room and be like, all right, mom, let us know when Thanksgiving dinner's ready, because it's a lot of work, right? So I said, okay, let let me volunteer, let me help a little bit. And um, there's a bunch of stuff that I've learned over the years from asking uh, some chefs. I remember Jay Speranza, the chef at Tony D's, gave me some really key tips on how to cook a turkey. Um, And then I watch a lot of videos and and basically came up with a couple of things. And so uh, I'll share a couple of them with you. One is, of course, the turkey and um, what to do with a turkey just – It's really simple and probably a lot of what I'm about to say is stuff that you're going to go, yeah, dude, I know. But one of the main tricks that is well out there at this point but maybe not everybody knows is to cut little slits in the skin of the turkey, the the big turkey, and put little pats of butter in there and that's going to help you season, at least with butter, the actual bird. Also, make a rub or buy a rub if you must, but just take a bunch of seasonings, um, and you're looking for stuff like, you know, that would be good on a turkey, rosemary and sage and thyme and things like that. It would be really good on a turkey, and you want to create yourself a rub. You want to Oil down your turkey and then really be generous with your rub. Don't be shy with the salt and pepper either. And really just season that turkey and maybe even get some of that seasoning into those slits. That's one as far as just seasoning the turkey. Another tip is put it up on a rack. Make sure that the turkey juices have the ability to fall down underneath that rack to make your gravy with later. And if you can, chop up some random vegetables. I just put some carrots and celery and onion, I think, down in the bottom of that bay. So the turkey juices were falling down into that pan, and later that would become my gravy, is all those juices that had been kind of just simmering with the onion, the uh, carrot, and the celery for all that time. When it came time to make the gravy then I would just kind of take after the turkey had been taken out and carved, I just kind of took that liquid, poured it into a small little pot, um, added a tiny, tiny bit of cornstarch just to thicken it up, and then just a little bit of parsley to, to just green it up, give it a little bit of color and depth. Um, then at that point, I just started tasting it and just kind of dialed it in, maybe a tiny bit of salt and pepper, and that was it. Really simple. But back to the turkey, you know, the next trick I think is that we are taught so much how turkey just can be, if you don't cook it thoroughly, if you don't get it to temperature, which is 165 degrees as recommended by the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, that it can be terrible for you, that you could actually cause food poisoning, you could harm people. uh, Quite frankly, it could be a disaster if you don't cook your turkey all the way through. So a meat thermometer is key. But because of that, people, I think, do tend to overcook their turkeys and dry them out quite a bit. Um, And that's just a disaster as well because of, well, what I just said. Uh, Dark, uh, you will uh, dry it out quite a bit. And so take a thermometer, just make sure you're getting in there. You You know about how long it needs to go. You can read it online. What is it, a half hour per pound or something like that or 15 minutes per pound? I don't know. But I think we ended up with whatever the weight of our turkey was. We ended up around five hours we thought would be about right. And so right around the four and a half hour mark, I've got my meat thermometer out. I'm checking on it every 20 minutes or so. I'm sticking my thermometer in there. You want to make sure, obviously, the thermometer is getting to the deepest part. If it's a big turkey, you want to make sure you're getting a couple readings at a couple different places. And, And just dial in that temperature. And... You know, pull that bird at 165. Don't let it go beyond. Make sure that internal temp gets to 165 uh, and 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 make sure it gets out of there. The other tip is if you're going to stuff your turkey, that's fine as well. And we did stuff our turkey, and I'll, I'll tell you about a near disaster we had. You want to make sure that you're temping your stuffing as well, really the middle, because that stuffing, if you think about it, it's in the middle of the turkey it's the one that's going to have the hardest time getting heat to it, and the juices from the turkey drip down into that, end up you know in the middle of that stuffing, and then only cook to, say, 135 or so, and then you pull it and you start serving it, and you've got undercooked turkey juices in that stuffing that you're serving. So I did pull my bird. I think I was at 165, and my stuffing only made it to about 135. And instead of putting the whole thing back in, I said, okay, I don't want my turkey to go any further. Here's what I'm going to do. I pulled all that stuffing out, put it in a baking dish, and just finished it in the oven. Now, the scary thing is at that point, my mom said, what are you doing? And I said, well, turkey's done, but the stuffing's only at 135. And my mom said to me, she goes, you have to temp the stuffing? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And I explained everything I just explained to you. And she goes, I've never temped the stuffing. (laughs) Oh, how are we alive? How are we alive? Uh, but also, I think my mom in the past has also generally always gone a little overboard on the baking of the turkey. So, what I was saying before about, you know, maybe cooking it a little too far, I think maybe she ended up safe on the stuffing because she let the bird get just so hot or get to a, a, a much higher temperature so that the stuffing probably did get to a safe temperature. Also, and here's the thing that I cannot tell you officially, this is not official. 165 is absolutely the temperature at which you are to cook uh, turkey. But I can tell you this now from working in food safety for a living, and that is buffers are always packed in there. Meaning 165 is the safe cooking temperature and without going too far because the last thing I need is anybody to pull this podcast and use it in evidence in a food safety uh, 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 court case that I'm in (laughs) one day. (laughs) Uh, I will not recommend anything below 165. You need to cook to 165 if that's the recommended temperature. But what I am here to tell you is the chances that 164 are going to cause death are very slim, very slim. Uh, That's as far as I'll go in that. Just, you know, there's buffers. Anyway, so uh, then I pull out the turkey, and then here's one I got from, um, oh, God, Bobby Flay, not Bobby Flay. Oh, God, wait a second. Who's the chef that unfortunately, oh, the chef who um, took his own life? I was watching a video. uh, Oh, yeah, um, Anthony Bourdain. That's right. Okay, I Googled that real quick. So I was watching a video with Anthony Bourdain talking about Thanksgiving and what was his number one tip for, you know, amateurs who are making these giant meals on Thanksgiving. And he explained the hardest part is getting all the food out hot at the same time out of a residential kitchen, right? In a commercial kitchen, that's not so hard. You got a lot more oven space. You've got heating racks. I mean, you've got, in a commercial kitchen's not hard. Home kitchen, you don't have all those fancy tools that a commercial kitchen has. So getting all that food out and hot at the same time is the trick. So what do you do? And one of Anthony Bourdain's tricks was keep a a pot of simmering chicken stock on the back of the stove at all times and use it just before serving in a couple of ways. And one of those ways is he said, you know, you want to get your turkey out, you want to carve that turkey and get your platter set up ahead of time. And and probably while that's happening, you're pulling other dishes. But at this point, the turkey's been out for a while. You've carved it. You've set up your platter. You know, you've probably, it's been five, 10, maybe 15 minutes since you maybe carved that turkey before it's finally going to get to be served. And, you know, the last thing you want is for that to have cooled off a bit. So his trick was take some of that piping hot chicken stock, And just kind of lightly dump it over your turkey just before serving. And this is the first year ever that I tried that. And it was an absolute home run. I mean, I had everyone at that table just saying like, wow, the flavor on this turkey is unreal. And I think it all was was from that. Um, Also, just with the stuffing uh, just on the outside of the bird, I forgot to mention I put onion and onion kind of in the mouth of the bird as well. And I don't know if that's the mouth or the neck or whatever it is. Um, Okay, so that was that. The other uh, one I'll share with you is mashed potatoes because I tried something brand new for mashed potatoes this year. Which, by the way, never try something brand new for the first time at Thanksgiving. But I went for it, and it worked fine except for I had some backlash, which I'll explain at the end. But I decided I was going to try a new mashed potato thing. And I love following chefs and restaurants on TikTok. And uh, there's this restaurant I follow on TikTok. And I can't remember the name of, but it's a three Michelin star restaurant. And they, did, uh, they showed how they make their pomme puree, uh, also known as mashed potatoes, although some people argue they're different things. It's basically potato puree, again, a.k.a. mashed potatoes. So, um, you know, skin them or don't skin them, doesn't really matter. But I skinned my potatoes, then I boiled my potatoes, and then I ran them through what's called a ricer. Uh, which is I just put my potatoes into this ricer and just kind of squished them through. And what that does is it just squishes it into these tiny little fluffy flakes, you know, like rice. It looks like rice. And, um, And that was a really, really cool trick because it really fluffed up the potatoes. Now, the second part of that is I put it then, after I had those fluffy flakes, I put it back on heat. And the recipe calls for half the weight in potatoes in butter. Half the weight in butter, half that 's a lot of butter. I used a quarter, so I had ten pounds of potatoes and I used two and a half pounds of butter and it really worked i had like, I had it on heat and I started to simmer that then and see what'll happen is if if you don 't cook that and mix that really well, uh, you end up with uh, oh and by the way, the butter has to be warm too you don 't want to introduce cold butter, so you want you want melted butter melted two and a half pounds of melted butter into the 10 pounds of mashed potatoes introduce that over heat so it's on a it's on a burner with heat so it's cooking it's starting to pop at you a little bit and sizzle a little bit because you need to kind of emulsify that butter into that potato and um, and then also the next trick was I had some whole milk that I was also keeping warm on the back of the stove. Again, important that it's warm, can't be cold. Warm milk. I introduced a cup or two of warm milk and just kept on mixing and stirring over heat, letting that kind of simmer. And then finally, you know, a generous amount of salt. Finally, it's still not done. After that comes off heat now, we're going to scoop that one at a time and we're going to run that through a sieve or a strainer, but more like a what they call a drum sieve, which is this kind of, well, you can Google it, S-I-V sieve, but it's kind of, picture like a strainer, but just a, a straight sheet of screen. Just put that over a bowl and run those potatoes through it, and it'll be hot, so you need a tool of some kind. And if you want to use a, um, like a bench knife or something, or, you know, one of those plastic kind of spatula-looking things, you can really press that potato through that sieve. And what comes out the other end is just this, again, I said it at the beginning, it's almost like potato puree as opposed to mashed potatoes. It's just the smoothest creamiest mashed potato you've ever imagined, and it just was so beautiful, and it's funny because even the next day then on Friday, I pull out these potatoes, and I'm looking at them, you know, now they're cold, they've been in the fridge, it's the next day, and I'm kind of looking at the texture on them, and you just, it just looks like a cloud, you know, it's just pure potato, I don't even know how to explain it, there's no sign of any individuality inside there, it's just all just pure potato, and so really, again, just, I was so delighted with how that turned out i said i caught some shit for it later though um (laughs) you know afterwards everyone's loving the potatoes and they're saying what did you do with the potatoes these are so good and i explain everything i just said and of course my wife is ready to throw up in her mouth because she hears two and a half pounds of butter went into that recipe and i told her i go that's half of what i was supposed to put in. i was supposed to put in five pounds that felt excessive two and a half felt like a lot I had also one time, a bunch of years ago, I had watched my Aunt Judy make mashed potatoes. And my Aunt Judy um, actually just sold. She owned a cafe, a coffee shop and cafe, uh, cafe, and she was the uh, executive chef there, really. She was the head cook there. And I remember a few years ago watching her make mashed potatoes uh, at our house. And she she used a mixer, like a KitchenAid mixer, to do it. And that's how she got hers, pretty fluffy. Um, But, again, I remember watching just the amount of butter that she put into those mashed potatoes that day, that, you know, that day, I think I was carving the turkey and I was watching her finish the mashed potatoes and she was just heaving sticks of butter into that. And I, it must have been a similar ratio to what I use because I do remember that day just being like, holy shit, that was half that was half butter what she just served us. <laughs> well, Here I am a few years later doing almost the same thing, so I get it. So that was Thanksgiving. We came back on Friday. I went to work a little Friday night. Then, of course, yesterday, Saturday, prior to receiving the sad news that I led the podcast with, we had a good little family day. Uh, My wife went, and and, um, it was small business Saturday, so she and my mother-in-law opened up and worked at Redbird Market all day. We actually had a record gross sales number yesterday, so thank you so much to the community for that. Amazing support at Redbird Market. That's going really well, and we appreciate your support. It, you know, it's a seasonal business, and seasonality is tough—really tough. Really tough. Uh, but November, December is in season. That's when we're busy. So, um, really, uh, you know, it, it's a good exercise as a business owner and understand what it's like to make, you know, a decent amount of your income all with just within just a few months of the year before you go into. February-March, which I probably don't have to tell you, February-March is slow season in a town like Fairport, or I think probably pretty much anywhere around here. So really great at at, uh, Redbird Market yesterday. Um, I stayed up late last night watching WWE Survivor Series. Got to admit, very shocked to see CM Punk come out at the end. No way in my mind did I think that that was actually going to happen. I know there were rumors, but I just did not think that that... I mean, I just thought that bridge had been burned to ashes, and yet there he was. And then here we are, Sunday morning. Uh, We are going out to pick out a Christmas tree. Not going to cut one down this year. Not sure why, but again, I I only get an opinion in these matters. There's a boss upstairs who gets to make final decisions on things, and I think we've decided to go to Pittsburgh Dairy and pick out a uh, pre-cut Christmas tree this year um, and a wreath instead of going to cut one down, which I believe we did do last year, which I had a lot of fun with, but I, I don't know. I appreciate just grabbing one from Pittsburgh dairy. It's full. First of all, you don't have to cut it down or drag it. Second of all, they tie it right to your car for you, which is great. Um, and, and it's, and they'll even drill the hole in it, you know, which they do at the Christmas tree farm too, but really good. So we're going to do that. And then, uh, I think my wife's going to go spend some time with her father today who, who lost his father. Of course, that makes sense. And, and then, of course, football later, both the Browns and the Bills play 4 o'clock today. Browns, I think, 4.05, which should work out fine. That way, I'll probably get to watch the whole Browns game and then watch the end of the Bills game. So hopefully that's exciting come the end, since the Browns are starting 20 minutes earlier than the Bills. I should get to pull that off. Um, the Bill. I, and Here's my last thought of the podcast today, and it has to do with the Buffalo Bills. First of all, yes, I am ecstatic about the Browns. <clears throat> I can't believe this is really happening. But, again, I think both teams, and, and this is just that stage in the season where, like, it's so volatile, and if the Browns were to win today, it's like, man, keep the good times rolling. But if they lose today, they're playing at Denver, and Denver is a average to maybe slightly below average team, but they're an average team, and the Browns are average to maybe slightly above average at this point. But, you know, it's the NFL. Anybody can beat anybody. There's no way that you can look at a game like today for Cleveland and say, oh, yeah, they'll win. No. I've seen enough Cleveland Browns games to know they can lose to anybody. So um, by no means, especially this being on the road and it's in the high altitude and it's against Denver, who's not bad. They're not good, but they're not bad. So I think with the Browns, It's so volatile. If they lose to Denver today, it's just going to be a bunch of us throwing our hands in the air saying, uh, well, here we go again, same old brownies, you know, got that good record, but now they're going to go blow it by losing to bad teams. Vice versa with Buffalo, same deal, right? You guys had Buffalo completely written off, and now with Buffalo, if they were to beat Philadelphia today in Philadelphia, mark my word, I hope the Bills win today so bad. Because if they win today, two things. Number one, I get another week of my life being a big Bills fan. And number two, if the Bills win today, you mark my words, Super Bowl. There will be, I mean, I'm telling you, Bills Twitter is hilarious. The wheels were falling off and you guys were ready to completely panic and fire everybody a week or two ago or I should say two weeks ago, you beat Philly today going into your bye week, people are going to be using the word Super Bowl again. That's how volatile this time of year in the NFL is. And you know what? I'm here for it. I love it. It's what I'm here for. Okay. I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for listening. You are amazing, and I owe you so much for being here. Um, I'm going to uh, I'll sign off now. We will talk next week. Wish me luck going to get the Christmas tree. And, uh, yeah, have a great week. Bye-bye.